The word of our Lord from the Gospel of John records that Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. All throughout John's gospel you have Holy Communion being alluded to. In fact, John is the the only one of the four gospel accounts that we have in our scriptures that does not line out for us Jesus' institution of Holy Communion on Monday, Thursday. Instead, it simply tells us that they were at the table and they were eating. But all throughout John's Gospel, you have allusions to communion. You have water being turned into wine at Cana of Galilee. You have Jesus' invitation for all who are weary and are heavy laden to come and find rest. You have His invitation to those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for them to come. He says, those who are thirsty, come to me and I will give you springs of living water welling up within your souls. You have food and drink being spoken of all throughout John's gospel. In fact, living waters is a recurring motif throughout John's gospel, as is light, him being the light of the world. But this idea of meal participation or partaking of food together, whether it's at a wedding in Cana of Galilee or whether it's with his disciples on the night that he's betrayed, this idea of consuming food is found throughout John's narrative. In fact, this passage that we read this morning, I'm uh, a couple of things about it. One is, I, I hardly know where to begin and where to end with the text because really you could read all of chapter 6 uh, or you could read at least the last half of chapter 6 but then it gets awfully lengthy and I know you guys you know, don't want to hear me up here just reading to you droning on and on. But um, really this passage in chapter 6 began in chapter 5 when Jesus fed the 5,000. In fact, he uses that feeding of the 5,000 the day prior as a a teaching point, an an illustration, an object lesson, so to speak. As he's talking to the crowds who have once again assembled and they've been looking for him, he says, look, you're coming to me 
because you ate of the bread. You ate of the bread and you were filled and so you're coming to me. You're looking for me. And he tells them, I'm giving you bread that will not leave you hungry again after a few hours. I'm giving you the bread of life. The bread of life that comes down from heaven. And they said, what are you talking about? Jesus, uh, Jesus, Moses gave our forefathers bread in the wilderness. That was the bread from heaven. He says, no, no, no. In fact, your fathers ate that bread. And where are they now? They're in their graves. They're dead. He says, I will give you bread which has truly come down from heaven. And if you will feast on that bread, you will live. And not only will you live, even when you are laid in a grave, I will raise you up again. If you will feast on this bread. In chapter 5, we're told that Jesus feeds the 5,000 because he looks out to the multitudes and they're gathering and assembling and he sees that they are needy. They've been following him. They have been listening to him and it's getting late in the day and he pulls his disciples together and says, we've got to feed these people. It's getting late. There's no time for them to head back to their respective homes to get a meal. We need to feed them before the journey because they've been out here with us. They've been on the journey up to this point throughout the day and they've got a journey back home before them. And so he has compassion on them. He sees the multitudes in their hunger. He sees the multitudes in their waywardness, which is why he's out there teaching them. And he offers them food. All throughout the scriptures, you have the Christian life being spoken of as a journey. You have us being called to walk. In fact, that call began really... uh, we think of it, I typically think of it as beginning with Abram, as God tells Abram to walk before me, and he calls him into covenant, and he calls him to a promised land. But really, that, that idea of walking with God, or walking before him, began before that. It began with Adam and Eve. It doesn't seem very unusual in the text that the Lord came in the cool of the day and walked among the garden. We're called to follow. In fact, Jesus' calling to His disciples was very simple. Two words, follow me. Back in the Old Testament, as Moses led Israel out of Egypt, we remember the wilderness wanderings. And here you have those wanderings being referenced as as Jesus says, no, while your fathers wandered in the wilderness and they were fed manna from heaven, that, that manna, passed away, and they themselves passed away. I am the bread from heaven that will not pass away. And if you feast on this bread, you yourselves will not pass away. So he references back those wilderness wanderings and those 40 years of wandering about in the wilderness desert. You have them searching for that land of promise. You remember Abram was a nomadic Uh, was a nomadic figure in his family. They were nomads and they were traveling from the land of his fathers as they were looking for the land that God would show them. So all throughout the Scriptures, we have this calling, this invitation to walk with God, to walk before Him, to follow Him. 
to go where he leads. In fact, in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, the, the writer of that letter tell, uses this walking or climbing motif all throughout his letter. He talks about coming before the mountain of God, just as Israel came before Mount Sinai, before God to receive the law. But the Hebrews writer also encourages us to press on, to press on in the race that is the journey of the Christian life, to strive forward to what God has laid before us. And in that letter to the Hebrews, God promises His people rest. That there is a rest that awaits us if we journey well. And he speaks of heaven as being that destination that awaits us as we journey toward it. So we're called on a journey. We're called on the journey that is the Christian life. To go where he leads. To follow as he goes before us. And just as I was speaking with the kids... God gives to us food. You know, it's funny because food reminds us of our finiteness. Because we eat, and then a few hours later we get hungry again. Right? Some of us, myself included, we get hungry way too quickly. And so we eat a little bit more. And then we eat a little bit more. But... Eating reminds us that we are needy. Which is very interesting. Because food was prescribed by Yahweh to His people, not as a result of the fall. You know, we think our neediness is some bad thing. Isn't that interesting? We think that our dependence upon something outside of ourselves is a sign that we're broken, but it's not. It's a sign that we're created. We cannot sustain ourselves just as we cannot create ourselves. God gave Adam and Eve food to eat before they fell. And that is, that's kind of paradigm shifting. Because we think, man, we get hungry. And that, and that reminds us that we're broken and we live in a fallen world. No, it doesn't. It reminds us that we live in a world that was created by God. That cannot create itself. Cannot sustain itself. It needs something beyond itself, even for its very existence. And certainly also for its continued existence. And God gave us food that we liked. Not just tasty animals. You know, we make the jokes about PETA, people eating tasty animals. It, it, not just tasty animals. That, that, that was allowable to, uh, to God's covenant people after Noah. But even in the garden, there was, seemed to be a, be a variety of fruit trees. Now, we don't know what type of fruit it was that Adam and Eve partook of and therefore fell. We typically associate it with an apple. But there are some Jewish traditions that say it was actually a pomegranate. Which is, I think, pomegranate as a word, I think it means like million-seeded apple or thousand-seeded apple or something because of all the little berries that are in it. We don't know what fruit they, they ate, but it seems that there was a diversity of food in the garden. God 
God created His people in need of food, in need of something to remind them that they are created beings. But also something not just to remind them, but something to enjoy. Something to feast on. You know, feast sounds like a delightful thing. When I hear we're going to feast, I think it's going to be a big spread. There's going to be meat. There's going to be bread. There's probably going to be maybe some oils to dip your bread in. I mean, I think big when I think feast, right? Hopefully you do as well. But we enjoy feasting. One of the things we need uh, when, when our family goes on a, uh, a road trip, you, you notice the, that, the, uh, that the announcement in your bulletin for next week going to, to, uh, to be with Brother Paul for his ordination, that it's, it's announced road trip. Um, when our family goes on a road trip, one of the first things we do after we've packed bags and loaded them in the car is we go to the grocery store. Now, Lindsay likes to go to the grocery store beforehand. That way we're not having to wait in the car while she gets stuff. But one of the she's getting when she goes into the store for a road trip is she is filling grocery bags with snacks, and breakfast items, and, and this week, she, or Friday, she bought a, uh, a bag of apples. And she said, I'm probably the only person riding around with a bag of apples in order to eat in the car. And at the, at the wedding, she has this bag of North Georgia apples uh, for the kids to, to be able to eat. But, you know, when we're going on a journey, we, we need food. And rather than stopping every hour or so and having to go and pay either fast food prices or gas station prices, she would rather go to the store, get prepared, get the food for the journey, and then make our way down the road for the journey. And so I always associate food with being something that we need when we're on a journey. I also, typically when I think about journeys and when I think about food that's being needed, I, I can't help but think about the Lord of the Rings. And I, because, you know, hobbits eat all the time. They eat breakfast, second breakfasts, elevensies. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're eating all of the time. But I remember in the Lord of the Rings books and in the movies that as they're on the journey, you know, they've got very very meager supplies of food and they've got just little wafers of bread and they're having to to make sure that it lasts and and you see that scene of 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 sam making sure that frodo gets plenty of food and he pretends to eat and then he tucks it back away because he knows they're they're running low we are a pilgrim people the church is a pilgrim people we are living in this land not as though we are embittered visitors who don't consider this our home, but we live in this land as pilgrim people who are moving on. We enjoy this place. We take care of it. We, we do what we can to steward it. We hopefully clean up litter when we see it. We do what we can in the world to, to bring about good in the world, but we know that we are ultimately headed toward a destination that God is preparing for us. And on this journey, God provides for us nourishment. He provides physical nourishment for our bodies, and He provides spiritual nourishment for our souls. The interesting thing about the biblical worldview is that we... As Christian thinkers, are not dualists. What I mean by that is we don't think, well, there is this body and then there is this soul. 
we think that as God created us, we are both body and soul. This body is not a bad thing. Just as food is not a bad and weak thing, it is a gift to us. So are our bodies gifts to us. And the interesting thing is that whatever we do in our body, whether we like it or not, it affects our soul. And whatever we do to build up our souls, we can't help but do in our bodies. You've heard me say before, we're, we're physically spiritual, and at the same time, we're spiritually physical. The neat thing about a meal is when we gather around the table, it's almost as though sharing in a meal is a naturally spiritual activity. The weirdest, the, the weirdest thing when I, when I see, uh, when I'm watching a television show or when I'm watching a movie, one of the weirdest scenes is always the food scene. It's all, I, I don't know why. I know I grew up in the South. I grew up where everybody says a blessing. And typically those who, who don't pray often, this is a horrible stereotypical statement, but normally those who don't pray often will say, who would like to say grace? Because, you know, they try, they're trying to sound formal about it. Not everybody. If you, if you say grace, I'm not picking on you, I promise. Nor am I doubting your prayer life. But when, uh, when everybody in the South prays over a meal, it seems. Now, you know, obviously not everybody does. That's it's just part of being raised in the South. You assume that everybody does. You know, we're here in the Bible Belt, and we assume everybody knows Jesus. Everybody, everybody prays to him. Some of them not as often. But everybody, when they sit down for a meal, they say a blessing, right? But in television, and in a movie, when they sit at a table, rarely do you ever see anyone saying a blessing. And it's, it always strikes me as kind of odd. It, if I can be blunt with you, it seems kind of animalistic. It's, it's just, I don't know, it's just weird. They've got all this food and they sit down and they just start chowing down. Like lions who have gathered around a, a, a corpse to, to, to feast. I don't know. They're, the act of eating seems like it is almost naturally a spiritual activity. It, it should come naturally to us to express thanks and gratitude. Even, I, I mean, I would be satisfied if folks gathered around a table on Thanksgiving and they're not Christian folks, if they at least said, you know what? This is an awesome bounty of food. Wow. Life's good for us. Now let's eat. You know, at least take, to take the moment to acknowledge that, that, that level that is really a spiritual, because gratitude is a spiritual thing. Of course, we want to express it physically by saying thank you, or we give thanks. But when we gather around a table, it's, it's almost a naturally spiritual activity. We are consuming. And what typically happens when we gather with more than just ourselves at a table 
is we eat, hopefully without our mouths full, but we, we eat, or, or we talk, hopefully without our mouths full. You know, we talk, we converse, we tell stories, we talk about the day, we talk about the week that's ahead. We, we, when a lot of families together, we're typically laughing and talking about, you know, what happened years ago and all those memories at family reunions and that sort of thing. Christ gave a meal to His family, to His church. He gave a meal for the church's journey in the world and He gives that meal through the church to the believer for the believer's journey through life. In fact, He said, I give my life for the sake of the world. Just as the Father gives life to me, I give my life to you. And if you feast on me, then you have life through me. He gives himself to us in this meal. Notice the things that Jesus says about the meal that he offers to us. He says, Take and eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. He says also, take and drink. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you. Here in this text in John 6, he says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he said further, in fact, my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. One of the most amazing things that we come to realize about Jesus in the Gospels is that he is the king who gives up his life for the sake of his kingdom. He is the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. You know, most shepherds tend the sheep because the sheep exist for the shepherd. That's called food and clothing. But he is the shepherd who lays down his life for the sake of the sheep. He is the king that leads his kingdom as one who was slain. One who bears the marks of our redemption. And he is the one that spreads before his church a meal at a table. And he invites us to come and dine for we need food for the journey of life. We need to feed. We need to be fed. We need to come to the table and receive from Him what He offers to us. And what He offers to us is His very self. He says, take and eat. Take and drink. And as we come as His people, 
We come receiving from Him, which is why I always invite you to, uh, we call it our, at our house communion hands when we're trying to get the kids not to grab. And we're like, hang on, I'm going to give you a sucker. I'm going to give you communion hands. And then they all know, all right, I'm not grabbing. I, I'm, I'm waiting and I'm receiving. You know, when we gather around the table, it, it, it helps us. It's not a bad thing if you don't do that. But it, it, you know, it always, like I said, we're physically spiritual and spiritually physical. And so things that we do with our bodies, if we associate them with what's going on in our souls, they can serve as teaching opportunities for us or teachable moments for us. And so when we gather and we have our hands cupped, we remind ourselves that we are receiving God's grace. We aren't taking it. We aren't grabbing at it. We're not doing something for ourselves. We are simply receiving what He offers us. And as we take that bread and dip it in the wine, and as we eat, we ought to remind ourselves, I need Him constantly. Just as we eat on a regular basis, so also the church partakes of this meal on a regular basis. For we need to be reminded that He is our life and He is our sustenance. He has created us and He is the only one who can sustain us. And so we come in faith and we hear those words, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink. This is my soul. And as we take and as we eat and as we drink, we ought to think in our minds, Lord, I need you. And we ought to cry out to him, feed me, help me to trust, prepare me for the journey that is ahead. I need you. I can't do it on my own. I shouldn't do it on my own. I never could if I tried. He invites us to come. And in just a few moments, we'll all be invited to come and to dine at this table as His family, to feast on Him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving so that we might have food for the journey that is ahead. Let's pray.